0: Uh, Friendswood Baptist Church, 33 years of ministry. I thought about this, you know, Brother Ron, you can look at, and you can, you know, you've been here for the better part of those years, and you have deep memories. Some of us don't have as deep memories with Friendswood Baptist Church. Um, So, here's what I would say is, I think it's necessary for us to think, um, how God's impacted our life through this ministry. And when we talk about this ministry, what are we talking about, right? My preaching. I'm just kidding. (laughs) We know better than that, right? I mean, come on. You think about when you you walk in and you've got to encounter uh, people, Some, some new faces have become warm to you. Some... Uh, some uh, deep connections there. Uh, maybe it was a song that was sung that's, and every time we sing it, it ministers to you in a certain way. Uh, it's service that we do. Uh, these last couple years have just been the strangest years for everybody in ministry. Every time I see one of my fellow pastors around town, we always go like, how are you doing, Well, you know, trying to figure it out through COVID. You know, we're all kind of in the same place. So, so I know that uh, those who've come in the last couple of years, it's a little bit uh, different for you. But I, I, would just, I would just have us think for a moment. And we're not going to share them out loud. Um, but I do want us to speak them before our Lord. God, this is what I found here. Maybe you did find refuge, as Brother Ron talked about. Maybe you were beat up a little bit. Maybe you found a rescue here. And again, it's not through this church in particular. It's through the Holy Spirit of God as he works through his people. And trust me, if the Spirit can work through us, He can work through anybody. What is it that you've found here? And don't get me wrong, this is not the only church on the block. I am glad for that fact. I'm glad that we are part of a community that has so many healthy, vibrant churches around. Stand on the Word of God, support good endeavors in the name of jesus and and, and we're part of the broader community outside of just friendswood i mean think about throughout texas throughout our nation throughout our world we are not alone in this by any means so today don't misunderstand me whenever i'm saying hey what can we say thank you for Friendswood baptist church for because that's not a way to say hey we're gonna toot our horn It's just a way to be honest before the Lord and say, God, I found value here. I found your spirit here in this particular way. I found your grace here in in, in this moment, in this season that I needed it. So I'm going to invite you just to a moment of contemplation. A moment where you can offer a prayer of thanksgiving up to the Lord. And I'm going to pray for us. And we'll get into this morning's message. You're still praying, offering your praises, your thanks, your gratitude, or even still processing. Don't let my prayer interrupt yours. Lord God, I come to you right now. And Lord, I, I thank you for who you are. God, I, I think about Friendswood Baptist Church and I cannot, I don't know anything beyond it. Much Mom leaned over while we were singing and said, How old were you when we moved here? Five years old. This building, this space has been a part of my life. There there, there are people like the, the Rishes and the Sokols and the Morgans that have been part of my life all from my very young age to today. Others along with them, and then Lord, there's 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 always this this ebb and flow. There's these seasons that you bring people in, and 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 Lord, for whatever reason, um, either they move on, or you move them on, or they go on before us. And so, Lord, whenever I think about Friends of the Baptist Church, my, I, can't, I can't even just boil it down to anything else other than, like, this, is, this church has been so much a part of my life that that's the only word that I can connect to, it is life. And I thank you for it. Lord, for my brothers and my sisters who've lifted up Thanksgiving in prayer, Celebrating you. For what they've been able to find here. What they've been able to find from you through this congregation, Lord. I lift up those praises and those thanksgivings and those gratitudes with them. Lord, as we look out beyond... We anticipate, Lord, more days where you are going to provide, where you're going to sustain, where you're going to invigorate us and fill us so that we can do, continue to do the work that you called us to do. I pray that today we would seek you for just that vision and that equipping, that strength that we need. Lord, I pray and I ask that today as we are gathered here, that you will be very, very present with us. That you speak to us, minister to us, comfort us, Lord, keep us. Lord, I do pray for those who are not gathered in this space, those who are gathered live stream, we lift them up to you. I do lift up the Morgan family to you who are grieved this day. It will be Uh, Laying her brother to rest this afternoon, please be with them. May your grace be about them. I lift up um, my brother-in-law, Will's cousin, Jake, whose uh, life is hanging in the balance right now, and Lord, I pray, and I lift up all those of us who are gathered in this room. May we not only seek your presence, but may we seek to be present with you, listening to you, attending to you. As you speak, Lord, may we not only be comforted, consoled, encouraged, strengthened, but overall, may we be, be equipped to continue doing that which you've called us to do as your disciples. I pray these things in Christ's mighty resurrected name. Amen. Yeah, this church has been part of my entire being, just about. I mean, only a few years here and there was I not here. Of course, from the ages of zero to five, we lived in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and um, yeah. Sorry, you don't have an authentic Texan here, but you do have a real cowboy. So there's that, right? No, um, that's not. That's so far from the truth, too. (laughs) Oh man, yeah. Uh, And then whenever I went off to an extended stay and. At college, um, the Arlington Baptist College, uh, you know, I just wanted to make sure that I got every, every ounce out of my college uh, experience, and so I just stayed as long as they would let me, um, and until they would give me my degree, you know, <laughs> so I, I stayed for a while, but, but while I was there from 2001 to 2007, I lived up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And uh, was part of a local New Testament body up there because we believe in the local church. Um, and, so, um, and so, you know, during those years, I was, I was, I was fully living there, fully invested there. And, uh, and still had my fellowship here at Friends of Baptist Church. But it wasn't until I came back in January of 2007 um, that, uh, that it was like, hey, I might be here for the rest of my life it's kind of funny because I would have never thought that. In college, my dad and I, we actually joked about this a little bit. A couple years before um, I moved here, Uh, he said, you need to start thinking about what you're going to do when you graduate. And I had this this fire, this passion to go plant a church. Uh, I wanted to go to Southern California because I really wanted to suffer for the Lord on the beaches of San Diego. um, Surfing every day. And just living, living that gospel life, you know, um, that was my idea and dream. And my dad had planted a church straight out of Bible college. And he said, son, I did that. And that was foolish of me. And he said, I had to learn a lot of hard lessons. Uh, He said, I should have gone and worked with somebody. I should have, I should have had some better understanding about the the whole ministry of church, the whole uh, administration of church and uh and that's not to say that he failed that church beacon hill baptist church is still in existence today uh, they're on their third pastor and so uh, the lord does amazing things even whenever we're not ready but uh, my dad said well why don't you he goes what, what would you think about coming back to friends with and we both chuckled and we said you know that old line a prophet uh a prophet is, with, is not without honor except in his own country. And we said, yeah, that will probably never work. But we said, well, we should pray about it at least. And then we went on and prayed about it and kind of revisited it, I, I would say, about you know, nine months to a year later. And by this time, something had changed in my heart. There was a real vision and a, and a desire growing within me to be back in Friendswood to minister here. Um, and so, um, so yeah, we, we set it up and, uh, and I was coming home January of 2007 and I was starting to work, uh, for the friends of Baptist church and, uh, everything was very ill-defined. Uh, <laughs> we had not had any like really technical conversations about what my job or, duties or responsibilities would entail or what my living arrangements would be. But I did find out that my parents' couch was still available to me. So uh, that's where I lived for a little bit whenever I first got back. And uh, yeah, why not my bedroom? Yeah, why not my bedroom, mom? I know. She'll answer to you later. Yeah. So anyways, all this to say is I didn't think I was going to come back. Came back. Of course, sad history with my father is that uh, a year into me working with him, and by this time it's really pretty clear to both of us that like, hey, I probably have some some time and some space here. And, and my dad's even already thinking at this point. He goes, man, I could see us working alongside each other for a few years, and kind of uh, you know letting him get his feet wet. You know, um, you know, maybe the next ten years or so. My dad thought, you know, and then. My dad might retire, and then it might just be one of those things where I was able to um, be called as pastor here. We're already kind of having those kind of thoughts, not, not really deep conversations about them, just, just fleeting thoughts about it. And then my dad passes away. And at that point, I'm going, I love this church, and I want what's best for this church, but I don't know what's going to go on church calls me as interim pastor and then says we're not going to look at anybody else we're just going to take the next six months and we're going to look at you and pray about it and you're going to pray about it and all i can tell you is i know that the next six months were not me just going yeah this is it and i've told the church this plenty of times The next six months was a lot of me going, yeah, I think this is it. But also a lot of me going, I'm not so sure. For various reasons, which I won't get into today, I was wrestling with God during the season. But here's what I know that God said to me. He said, first and foremost, those things that you're wrestling about, those are minor issues. And if you think they're minor issues, don't make them major. And the other clear thing that I know that God talked to me about was this I'm calling you to pastor these people. That's it, calling you as a shepherd. And God could have gotten anybody else. And he should have probably gotten somebody else. (laughs) But I do know this. He said, I'm calling you. And if you don't answer the call, who is going to answer the call? So. I've been able to serve. uh, Since 2008. 2008. As the pastor of this, this fine, fine congregation. And I'm thankful to God for Friends of Baptist Church. And whenever I think about Friends of Baptist Church, what I mean is you. You people who are now. There were others before you. There are others still yet. There are others still yet to come. But I'm thankful for the. For you. I tell everybody this. Brittany was 19 whenever I became pastor. Or no, she had just turned 20. So sorry. She was not a teenager anymore. I was 25. Yes. Yes. Yes, I'm that much older than Brittany. Okay. We were kids, babes. And I tell everybody this. I said, our church called me to pastor, called us to serve and to lead, knowing that we were young and giving us the grace that is necessary for us to grow. that's huge to me. And we've had uh, such a such a beautiful time with friends of Baptist Church. And today I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being faithful to our Lord. Because I can promise you, you, you're not doing it for me. I know that. And I'm glad about that. Because if you were, you would have stopped a long time ago. Because I've made some blunders along the way. I was thinking this morning, Miss Kathy, you remember when we came back from Ukraine? I don't know why this hit me. I offended you. I forget the whole situation that surrounded that. Well, because we, we sat down and we talked about it. I was just thinking about that this morning. I don't know why it came to my mind. Maybe because I I, I felt like I needed to be mad at you for something. I don't know. No, No, you know what it was? Why I thought about it? Because I thought that's what the church is. The church is not this place where you don't ever offend. And you're never offended. If that was the case, then Paul wouldn't have had to say in Ephesians... Hey, forbear one another and forgive one another. Now, we like that. That's a great idea and a hope that the church would be this place where, you know, we never offend and we never get offended. But what I love about that is that was an offense. I did offend you. And you were faithful to receive an apology and to offer forgiveness. See, whenever I'm talking about faithfulness, I'm not just talking about your 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 bottoms being in the pews, right? See, because faithfulness is beyond that in the gospel. See, faithfulness has to do with our character that we live Bye. Now, we could, we could reduce it down all day long to numbers, to, to, to your attendance record. Oh, they're faithful. They show up every Sunday. You know, this, this world over, there's people who show up every Sunday who are not faithful to Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about that, just this idea of what true faithfulness looks like. In part, I I just have this on my heart, my mind, because, you know, we're going to partake in this meal today and not in a barbecue meal today because COVID has changed everything. And it's not. Particularly new to COVID. In fact, in fact, a few years before COVID happened, Varna uh, Group did a uh, did some research and did some study, and they said, you know what faithfulness is for people in America, for church attendance. The new level of faithfulness is this: once every three weeks, possibly even once a month it was 27 percent of the time and you go well what's what's going on do people not love jesus anymore look i look around and i talk to people and and i and i and i and i'm close friends with people who go they love jesus they pursue jesus they serve jesus but they're not able to get to church every sunday We are in a society where our schedules are overloaded, overfilled, everything is at our fingertips, everything's at our disposal. Now there are some things where we might need to make some decisions and we might need to go, okay, what's, what's the priority here? What's the importance? But there are, there's also this necessity, I think, for us as Christians, as those who make up the church, to really start evaluating what are we considering faithful? And I think there's enough, there is enough evidence of what we've seen come out of some churches over the last few years where they were faithful, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, but where you had predators in the pulpits. And because people were worried about faithful attendance and they weren't worried about faithful character, they did not hold those people accountable. And so sometimes I think we can look around and we can go, what's going on with all this kind of this, this, this seemingly, you know, COVID has caused it. But even before COVID where people are just, they're not, they're not as dedicated or as faithful as they w- once were to church. And we can get scared. What, what, what does it mean? and so today what i want us to just think about is like what is our ultimate paradigm for faithfulness and as i've already alluded to it i believe that faithfulness while it may involve being here showing up gathering assembling it does involve that that is not the metric. Faithfulness is the character that you and I embody and employ each and every day. Faithfulness is you and I living in love like Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? I come to this thought by reading Revelation chapter number 19. If you'll turn with me there. Revelation chapter number 19. Chapter 18 describes the fall of Babylon, the great. Babylon the great whore is how the text describes her. And that is uh, prophetic language talking about somebody who goes and is unfaithful. Babylon represents all the kingdoms of this world. One thing that we should all know is that Revelation is a highly symbolic book. Uh, we get into some problems whenever we we go, oh, this is symbolism, and then we want to make other things literal, and I would just say we should probably understand that most of it is symbolism, and sometimes if we make that leap and we go, okay, well, this was a symbol, 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 and then we go, whoa, 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 but, but this date has to be literal, like these are the things that kind of get our hearts torn About Revelation. It's highly symbolic imagery. And so the kingdoms of this world are symbolized by Babylon, the prostitute. Then there's a false prophet. Might read elsewhere the Antichrist. And you have the dragon. You you have the dragon, the beast, all these other images. You have to tease through them. Well, as you get through Revelation, what you find is that the kingdoms of this world are going to be cast down. So is the dragon, so is the beast, so is the false prophet. In chapter 18, Babylon the Great has fallen. One of the interesting things... We talked about this a number of weeks ago. A lot of times, Revelation uses very violent imagery. And so it makes us think, you know, hey, Jesus showed up whenever he was on this earth the first time. And he was a lamb, but he returns like a lion. But Revelation is very careful to let us be known that Jesus is the lion. He's the one in power, but he operates as a lamb. We find this in chapter number five. It says, Oh, listen, we're looking for somebody to open the scrolls to these, uh, the, the seals to these scrolls. And, and they oh, look all around. Nobody can be found. John begins to eat. There's nobody can open the scrolls. And then they say, Oh no, 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 no. There he is. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And John looks and what does he see? What does he hear? Lion tribe of Judah. What does he see? Lamb. And for the rest of the book, Jesus is never symbolized as a lion again. He is always symbolized as a lamb. So despite this graphic language of like, oh, God's had his fill and he's going to come and he's going to, he's going to kill people just like the kings of this world do. Revelation is saying, hey, listen, God's at war with the hostile principalities and powers. There's no doubt about that. So it uses like war imagery, but, but, but Revelation is very careful to say, Hey, the decisive battles already taken place that happened on the cross. And if that was the decisive battle, then that's the decisive means through which God intends to overcome evil. God overcomes evil. How? Through suffering love patient endurance of hostility one of the ways that you can get this is every time that you find out like that the babylons fall in or even after the the writer comes in chapter 19 and it says he's you know, on this war horse that he comes in, we talked about how he's already dipped in blood before he, he gets to the battle. So there's something that we have to figure out there. But also that, like that, that the sword that comes out uh, that he's holding is not a sword that he's wielding in his hand, but it's a sword that comes out of his mouth. And we know that scripture is filled with this imagery that, that whenever you talk about the sword coming out of the mouth, what you're talking about is truth. If you think about this, if the enemy always wins, His battles through deceit. Isn't that what happened with Adam and Eve? Didn't he deceive Adam and Eve? Then how does the the king of kings win? Through truth. But what's interesting is you never find a battle scene described. For all this imagery, for all this like, Oh, they're preparing for battle. All the nations of the world are gathered, you know, for, for this major battle. The next thing you know is God has the victory. Jesus has the victory. They've conquered. It would be like, and we used Braveheart a few weeks ago. It'd be like if Braveheart had none of the battle scenes. And I know that those battle scenes are gruesome but you also have to go. Those battle scenes are pretty bad to the bone, right? Anybody not think that? If if you think that, oh, I I could watch Braveheart without the battle scenes, I would much rather. Could you just raise your hand? Okay, good, because I I was ready to do it. We were going to pick up stones, all right? (laughs) All this to say, Babylon has fallen, chapter 18, and that's it. The city fell within an hour. The great city. And then the kings and the merchants who, who, who gained by her deceit and her fornication, as the text says, they begin to lament through the end of chapter 18. And then chapter 19 starts out with this. It says, and after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, alleluia. So you have all those people who profited uh, uh, off of the kings and the kingdoms of this world. They're lamenting. And then you hear this other voice. And it begins to he begins to hear this other voice. And it says, there is much people in heaven singing hallelujah. Praise, praise. Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he has judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication. And he hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said Hallelujah. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. This takes you right back into chapter number four. Right back where where the, the, the beast and the elders are all falling down. All the creatures in heaven are falling down worshiping the Lord. And a voice came out of the throne saying praise our God all ye his servants and ye that fear him both small and great who's the voice that comes out of the throne i wonder Hmm. and i heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thundering saying hallelujah for the lord god Omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, Write. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, these are the true sayings of God. I told you that I wanted to evaluate what faithfulness we were called to. And As I read verse number 7. says let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready how did she make herself ready how did the church ready itself Because everybody was good to show up five minutes before the ten o'clock hour, settle into their pews. Earlier on in Revelation it says that they overcame him, or that they would overcomers through the blood of the Lamb and the Word of their testimony. She made herself ready, so she's invited to this marriage supper. Bernard Eller says that John likely has in mind the Lord's Supper whenever he's writing this. Because if you remember in Luke... Chapter number 22, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper during the Passover meal, Jesus said, I have a great desire to eat this meal with you. I've always wanted to eat this meal with you. I'm ready to eat this meal with you. But I'm not going to eat this meal with you again until I come in my kingdom and my glory. And so the church has always been invited to partake of this meal remembering what Jesus had done and anticipating what He would be doing, that He had come, that He would come again. And whenever I think about this mill and the bride readying herself for such a mill, we have to remember what the mill represents. There's a lot that went on on the cross. A lot of volumes have been written about it. But I want us to think about this this morning the victory that Christ had on the cross, and the means for that victory. Matthew Fleischer writes, The cross is where Jesus endured the worst evil could do to him without straying from the way of love. Jesus triumphed over evil by always loving until the very end. Think about this. Jesus comes and launches an entirely new initiative to establish his rule, his reign, his authority over heaven and earth. For one, we know he doesn't come and say, it's mine, give it to me. He's ready to come and act faithfully and to be granted the authority that is due him. And then also, what Jesus does not do is come, gather up an army, arm them to their teeth, train them for battle, launch out offensive attacks on uh, strategic military targets until he has gained enough foothold and enough advantage for the enemy or for his opposition to either seek a treaty, and withdraw from battle, or to rouse his enemy to some great battle in which he could finally slaughter them all. No, Jesus came, and against those expectations, Jesus came, and he taught people to love their enemy. He taught his disciples to be the ones who didn't grumble and complain whenever more was asked of them by their enemies. But taught his disciples to trust that if they went the extra mile that their enemy asked them to go. God's spirit could work through that. God's spirit can come in and be transformative through that rather than crossing their arms, settling in their heels, clenching their teeth and saying, you're not going to tell me to do this or else violently resisting their enemies. Jesus said, if you follow my way of love, the kingdom will come. Because my kingdom comes whenever your pastor offends you. And you don't go to social media and say, my pastor offended me. And everybody goes, I've all been offended by a pastor before. Oh, those pastors. Or you don't, because you might not be one of those ones who goes to social media. But you don't go to your girlfriend's and say, oh, "You know, I just don't get. I don't know about Pastor McCauley anymore. Is he even is he even teaching truth anymore? I don't know. But whenever you say, "Hey, Pastor, you've offended me." Now, let me just ask you, what would happen if if that didn't happen that way? And I'm sorry I'm using this instance so much. It's the only time I messed up, so I just have to, just joking. (laughs) No, it's just so ample. What would happen if she went on social media? What would that do to my spirit? Oh, I'm so ready to forgive. Please forgive me. Right? Or would that ignite my spirit? Well, you should be better than that, preacher. I'm not. I'm not better than that. I am petty. And I am, I have an ego. And I will fight against that, and I will resist th- those urges, but they are there. I'm not going to deny that they're there. And so if she came, and she started talking bad about me behind my back, if she launched launched a counterattack to me because I offended her, guess what that would Uh, stir up. But when she says, I'm not going to launch a counterattack, but I'm going to follow the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus says, I'm going to have to humbly come and tell somebody that what they did affects me. And it hurts me. That's an act of humility. Right? Because you're not supposed to have power over me. You're not supposed to affect me, Kyle. I shouldn't be bothered by you and how you think about me because I should be better than that. I'm not, right? (laughs) He gets it. So it's an act of humility, humble love that she would come to me and say, hey, listen, I love you, Pastor. And what you did affected me. And that invites me into a moment. How dare she ever be a, a, offended at something that her pastor, God's high servant, did to her? How many pastors have gone that route? See, when Jesus says to go, the extra mile, whenever he says to, to, to practice forgiveness, whenever he says to turn your, your cheek and offer it to your enemies, what Jesus is saying is there is a way in which love can conquer evil, but you and I consistently have to wrestle against our flesh that says, no, that's not going to happen. I'm going to go to him, and he's going to say, oh, well, get over it. And I'm going to be more hurt than I was before. And guess what? That's the risk because I could have done that and you could have been more hurt than you were before. Jesus never Jesus never turned to the same tactics that his enemies used against him. Therefore, Jesus victory on the cross was faithful to the way of love. So whenever I think about us readying ourselves for the marriage supper of the Lamb, I have to think, what what does this blood remind me of? It's not just blood that was poured out for me. It was blood that was poured out to show me the way. It wasn't just a body that was broken for me. It was a body that was broken to show me, hey, your body might be broken too. And we are in a brave new world whenever it comes to the church. And for 33 years, we could say pretty much church looked like this. Some changes here and there along the way. But I can tell you right now, I'm praying, seeking, going, okay, God, what does it look like going forward? Because I know this, I know this, I know in January of 2019, before COVID ever hit, the Lord spoke a word to me and said, and I've shared it with y'all multiple times. He said, if y'all were just worshiping and being intentional about discipleship, that would be enough for your church to be doing. Because the reality is, is that you and I don't go to church. You and I are the church. And so, where our faithfulness is involved primarily, it is the character that you and I choose or resist each and every day. And it's the character of Jesus Christ. And it's trusting in His means to overcome evil. By the way, you might not have any hostile forces at your door, but you might be thinking, you know what I'm trying to fight each and every day. I'm trying to fight these temptations, these base temptations towards you know addictions or different things like that all you know all the things that we say that we all know that you're not supposed to do, right? Um, here's what I would say. Even against that, Jesus comes with a way of love that you and I have a hard time accepting. Rather than Jesus saying, these things are, he will say, these things are gross. They're not right. They're hurtful to you and they're hurtful to others. But rather, we want Jesus to say, and they keep you from God. But you know what we find in the incarnation is nothing can keep us from God who pursues us. God is always pursuing us. He's always the one saying, don't let this thing get in the way of you and me having a relationship. And to reveal that, he says, look, I, I will lay down my life in my son so that you know I don't want there to be anything keeping you from me. And we get that backwards so often. We think God's the one saying, stay away from me, you sick sinner. But we're the ones who go, God must not want to be with me, the sixth sinner. And God's going, hey, I came to rescue sinners. God's going, I'm the doctor. You're the patient who needs fixed. How can you get fixed if you don't come see the doctor? So. Faithfulness in that arena means that each and every day when the enemy is trying to deceive us to think, you said this thing, God does not want anything to do with you. We say, get behind me, Satan. The crazy thing about my God is that Adam and Eve went and hid in the garden and he went and found them. And he went and clothed them. Don't lie to me about him. We didn't have to go up to heaven and say, Jesus, come, we need a rescue plan. Jesus said, they can't do this for themselves because they keep thinking. Their meager, angry, hostile, violent, vindictive ways that my kingdom's going to come. never going to come that way. And they won't get it. So i got to show them. They keep thinking that they can set up all these laws and systems so that they can approach God. And I need to tell them. God came to dwell with you. not the other way around. Not the other way around. So my brothers and my sisters, as we partake of the elements today, let us remember in particular that what these symbolize What these symbolize is the victory that Jesus had from never straying from the way of love. And that if you and I are going to ready ourselves, if Friendswood Baptist Church is going to ready herself, then we must not stray from the way of love. And when we stand before him, that is what he will ask of us. With that, might we partake with the body and the blood? And as we do so, might we have mixed emotions, sobriety? If you did not have one of these, Brother Darren, will you go bring a tray in here for anybody who did not pick up one of these? I just saw somebody go, (laughs) if you don't have one, just put your hand up. Here's the deal. If this cup and this wafer represent victory that Jesus had on the cross, then there's two ways that we can receive it. We should receive it with some sobriety. Because he went the way that nobody had gone before him to pave the way for all of us to follow him. That's a sober thought. But we should also do it with great lively celebration in our hearts. As Paul says, Colossians, through the cross, he spoiled the principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly. He was victorious. On the cross. And I think today it's really sad that we don't get to get to some barbecue in our bellies. But we should partake of this meal with as much joy and fervor as we would some good brisket. And also, I think this should anticipate that marriage supper of the Lamb. And I don't imagine that you're going to get a stale stale styrofoam-like wafer and some Welch's grape juice on that day. I imagine that we're going to have a spread laid out for us, and it's going to take us quite a few days of returning to the table with new plates each time we do. And load it up. And so as we anticipate, as we look back and we celebrate what Jesus has done, and we anticipate that future day, might we partake of these elements with a sense of great joy and great gratitude? Jesus said, this is my body, given for you. And all of us say, thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Let's eat. And Jesus said, this is my blood poured out for you. Let's think about it. He did this as a willful, voluntary offering for us. Could you imagine if we were like Peter? Oh, no, not for me. If my blood's not poured out for you, you can't be rescued. Then give me all your blood, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Join me in prayer and our praise team will come and we'll sing one last song. Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. I celebrate your name. I celebrate the reality of Of the victory that Jesus had on the cross. I celebrate that he never strayed from the way of love. I celebrate that he showed us. He showed us. What we would not be able to see ourselves. What we would not trust ourselves without seeing him do. God I pray. And I thank you for the faithfulness of Friendswood Baptist Church. All these years. I thank you for your faithfulness. To Friendswood Baptist Church. All these years. My prayer is. Is that as we continue forward. We will remain faithful. To your son. And to his way of life. And life everlasting. And that through. Through this. Many will hear the call and the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and they will join us. I pray these things in the mighty resurrected name of Jesus. Amen.